Hey there, so this is a podcast that I sat down and did with Anthony Waters. He's an old friend of mine, um, but a lot of people know him out in the world as an artist. He's also a painter, illustrator. He's known for his world-building skills extraordinaire. Um, some people know that position as an IP designer. Uh, he's an author, he's a teacher, and he has a wonderful dog. Violet. He's a great dog father. We have that in common, too, because we love our dogs. And he's worked for Wizards of the Coast, uh, Microsoft, Electronic Arts, Red 5 Studios, Nihilus Games, and the WB. He's been uh, worked on TV shows, animated movies, video and tabletop games like Dungeons and Dragons. And he also teaches at the Laguna College of Art and Design and the Cage Academy of Fine Art and the Georgetown Atelier uh, I'm thinking, wait, he used to teach at the Laguna College of Art and Design. Anyway, he teaches classes, and he he, he has some great classes. Uh, so if you're in the Washington area around where he dwells, look him up online. We'll put some links um, uh, up with the podcast on the Facebook page. Look, check this out. Check out um, some cool things about him. You can find his art um, and a couple of cool places on his site and other people's sites. Um, and he was recently on our podcast after we went, we drove all the way to Vegas in one day, did we not? Yeah, there and back, one day. And um, I had to say I love my friend, and we were trying to save, uh, you know, airfare, because, you know, we're we're all creative types, we're on budgets, but man, it was like, well, the cool thing was, going down there, we got to eat uh, Greek food at 7.30 in the morning in Baker in, in the Baker desert. Baker yeah. at 85 degrees. It was 85. No, it was 95 already. Yeah. The food was freaking delicious, though. That's probably some of the best Greek food I've had in a long time. My euro is delicious. Considering you're in Baker. Well, let's not slam Baker. You know, Baker's got to make a living. Don't be hating on Baker. It's, it's, it's struggling. It's got the world's tallest thermometer. And they've got Greek food at 7.30 in the morning. And they've got the Bun Boy um, uh, Motel. So there's a lot of shit going on in Baker. Let's not, let's not crap on Hey, that. they have an Arby's, and Santa Monica doesn't even have an Arby's. Exactly. So, again, Baker's one up and on this. But, again, I was kind of struck by the fact that you could get this food at 7.30 in the morning. You can't even get, like, fucking, um, you know, burger for breakfast at most places around our town so and then we stepped outside the car and it was like hot as 400 hells when you would step outside the car we had the dog with us and we were kind of like he's not good in the car although he's he getting did, better he, he did really good though but i mean we he left did. we left here at, at what did we four? Got four we left at four like 10 after 4 a.m we got up at three we should have just left at 2 a.m so we don't we go, we go to get Ant, who's at this um a grand prix of um was it was it world magic the gathering and several games were going on and all kinds of crazy shit was happening and uh he was down there for this big con and and did pretty well you know and and had a great interaction with other uh, artists and the fans and there was cosplay and it was a whole nine but like you know it's vegas and again don't want to shit on towns but vegas for me i've been enough now that I know what it is, and uh, you get in, you get out. And, um, yeah, so we were, like, you had to also be in the mood for it. You had to prepare for it. You have to kind of brace yourself. So we we got him out of there. It was kind of like, you know, grease out of a duck's ass. We were just out of Vegas in two seconds. We just loaded the cars, and then... Got the fuck up out. Got out. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so he came, uh, and he was here with us for a few days in... Uh, at the Ashland Studios, which was cool. We got to hang out with him and chitty chat. Because we do a Skype call with him 
like what every month or so we'll sit down and I do uh, I'm writing a book right now he's writing a book we're both writing first books so we do a lot of uh, stuff uh, together and we'll talk about that in the podcast but just uh Check out if you want to learn about the process, if you're a fan of Magic the Gathering, Anthony's art, you're just uh, one of his buddies, or you want to get to know a really cool person, this is a um, a tiny slice of talking to Anthony Waters. So, yeah, let's do that thing. Okay, so you just got back from a big event in Los Huecas. Indeed, Sin City. Yeah. Is it still Sin City, though? I don't know. It, it, was, it seemed to be mostly Tacky City. Oh, well, that, it's kind of always been that. But okay, it's like when so. I used to go, I say this, this is probably not true. When I used to go to Las Vegas when I first, you know, moved out to L.A. in, what, 2002, I felt like it was grittier. I felt like you, you could you could get mugged faster. Now I just feel like it's a shopping mall. It's a, just a big, you know, Apple store. I've driven gambling. through Las Vegas. This is the first time I've ever stayed there for you know, more than the 45 minutes it takes to get through the city. Yeah. So it was a cultural experience for me. This is a (laughs) unique place (laughs) in America. Um, I feel safe saying in the world. Um, And I am still recovering. Yeah. I mean, three days in Vegas, you're pushing it. That's that's about everyone's limit, right? What's your limit, Ian? Um, An hour? Yeah, you'd have to be paying me to go... Like a common hooker. The one time we went out on the town, (laughs) it was about two hours maybe, and that was enough. And you were overloaded. I was. It was just too much, too much stimulation, too much noise, uh, too many people, everyone talking at once at the top of their lungs, Um, music, car horns, and then five million watts of neon. Pulsing yeah. from every direction. Sensory overload. Like being trapped inside a LSD-induced yeah. nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I think that was their intention. Then they succeeded. Yeah. There's a guy who's going, make that. <laughs> I'm tripping balls right now. I'm describing it to somebody and somebody just went and made that. I want to turn that inside out and cause it to be an area effect. Yeah. <laughs> and I know, I know I, I can see it being very exciting for some people. I can see. It's cool when you first go there, but you don't know what it is. But I think at the end of that first day, you're like, this was so fun. Oh, God. Yeah. If you were, and then if you wake you... up in it, like you you hear like in some hotels. This was true at the Luxor. I don't know if other hotels are more soundproof. I think the Hard Rock, I couldn't hear the lobby. But at the Luxor, because of the way the hotel is shaped, it's one of those hotels where the rooms are uh, along the walls. And there's a big, you can you can walk out of any floor and look down into the center of the hotel, that's right? Big atrium. So all of the constant din of the machines, the slot machines, are just bubbling up to you constantly. Oh. So it's just there. And, you know, you okay. just at the end of like three or four days, you just run screaming onto like the strip going, cab! Yeah. You know? It's, it's something that I've never been interested in gambling. Yeah. So me neither. It's a whole city that is just not built for me. I'm just way too poor. I don't want to give my fucking money away. I already give it away. I mean, every, every year I give away taxes. I'm, I'm pissed about that. I'm not going to give, you know, the house always wins. Not stupid. And I can tell just from looking at the machines that I couldn't stop once I started putting coins in. Really? I'd be pissed off enough that I didn't get a return the second, third, and 25th time that I would just keep going until I finally just was Or you could be like Dale Cooper in the recent uh, return of Twin Peaks, you know, where he just sort of sees this glowing flame over the winning jackpot. He goes over and puts his coin in and pulls the thing and goes, hello. It's a whole thing. Once you see, that'll, that'll be funny in about... 
uh, a year when you finally get around to watching Twin Peaks. <laughs> Don't tempt me. Because You'll call me I, and go, that's such a funny joke now. If I had that magical power, I very well would still be in Vegas. Uh, yeah, just um, clean it up. Just buying buildings and tearing them down. And I was surprised at how expensive everything was. I, yeah. I, the last I knew of Vegas was still apparently an illusion that you know the food was cheap and the drinks are cheap. But we were talking to someone today, Steve, you know, over at Location Sound. Hey, Steve, if you ever listen to this podcast, you probably don't. We curse too much. Anyway, so um, he was one of the things he was telling because he goes to Henderson all the time in Nevada, just outside the city there of Las Vegas. And he's like, he was giving us kind of the intel on, you know, you you go where the locals go. You go on the outer edges. Nobody goes to the Strip. I think he's a local there. Like, nobody in L.A. goes to, like, to the middle of Hollywood to all the stuff, you know. I, I've never even been in the Ripley's, believe it or not, thing. I've never, I've never even been to the door. So, in, like, Vegas, those guys don't go there. And they get their $5 prime rib and they have that experience. So, I think it's on the edges of the town where the, the hooky cool really awesome stuff is and you know but when you're like this when you don't have a car and you're doing a convention which we're going to get to talking about why you're in vegas you kind of get trapped in this this uh, this bowl of crazy neon you know drunk people yelly gambly soup is that the reason the blocks are so long i i don't know you just give up walking and you just stumble into probably uh, because you know and there's math and angles to every single thing that goes on in vegas like they pump oxygen into the lobby to keep you awake. The the cable channels are crap, so you'll get out of your hotel room. You know, I've heard all kinds of things. I don't know if they're urban legends or real. I guess I could look them up on the internet, but why? Um, yeah, so I don't know. So tell us why you were in Vegas. What were you doing there? You I obviously was, weren't there because you wanted to gamble. <laughs> I was in Vegas to attend the uh, Las Vegas Grand Prix, the 2017 Las Vegas Grand Prix for Magic the Gathering, which is a card game slash collectible card game slash strategy game. Cool. And you say people, what do they do with these cards? I mean, like, I don't know. The game is like a cross between uh, poker and go. If you imagine a game in which the rules get modified every single year, and you are doing a bit of role-playing, too. You're pretending that you're a wizard, your opponent is a wizard, and you are trying to defeat them using spells and using creatures and machines and all sorts of you know, magical devices and all sorts of things. This is really strange. cool. I it's, like this. It's cool, and it's a $300 million a year industry. Wow. And the game has been out for a while, though, so to be pulling down those numbers is kind of cool. I, I want to say two thousand or 1993? Yeah. Sounds right. It's been uh, sure more than two decades. <laughs> more than a couple of decades. So, so to be hauling that in. And is that just for this card element? Is there any other components or add-ons or things with Magic the Gathering? Or is it just that the card game is the thing? Um, Do you know what I'm saying? I'm not sure. Do you mean by... Or is there like a... Is there a, uh, a online game? Is there oh, a... Oh, yes. There is an online game that okay. you can play if you want. Um, there's a, an ESP channel dedicated to uh, Magic the Gathering players. So if you want to watch two people competing, playing Magic, you can do that. And they often... Uh, televised events happening around the world like this one. This do one's... they get a lot of ratings? Do they? Have... I mean, if it's on ESPN, it's going to be pulling something in, right? That I don't know. But again, it's a three hundred million dollar a year game. So what it's... did we watch? We watched something. What was the tournament that we watched? The World Series, League of, of Legends. Yeah, League of Legends. I don't know. Are they kind of? They feel like they're kind of in the same kind of popularity. Well, League of Legends, a video game. Yeah, so, exactly. Um... Yeah, sure. I know. <laughs> I know. I watched them play that I... game, but I just didn't know if Magic had this other. 
It's a. It's just the cards. That's really the basic world of yeah, it. Yeah, I would say it's 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 different. Uh, that it, it does occupy a different part of the brain because most of the games that are out there, like League, League of Legends, are very. I mean, they're Twitch based, so it's it's about reflexes, it's about shape recognition, um, and timing. And yeah. while there's a timing element to magic, there's also a, a strategy element, and it's it can happen at a different pace because it's just you sitting across a table from somebody else. You're right. Uh, it came out in 1993, uh, published by Wizards of the Coast. Right on. I love it when my memory works. Yeah, you nailed it. And I think it the the game was created by Richard Garfield. This is what the Wikipedia says. This is I'm not being awesome. I'm just looking up things on the all internet. that. All that is true. Yep. There you go. Uh, are there, are there like with other games, again, please don't kill me, nerd people out there for comparing it to other things. I don't know. I played a little Fallout 4, a little Skyrim, and the Walking Dead game. I'm not a big gamer. I'm just coming to it late in life. It's pretty cool, but I don't, you know, I don't have the nerd card. But is it, uh, are there, are there like players in this game that are hugely popular and have followings? This is something I really love about the game. Um, at the very end, Sunday... We're winding up all, all the artists who are in Artist's Alley. And we're listening to the scores being racked up. Now, this is a game that's being played for money. But the community is very supportive. So, as the announcer says, in sixth place, uh, here's so-and-so. A crowd, a crowd erupts with cheers. And they walked, the, the cheers just grew in amp and in um, in volume as we worked our way up to number one. But you could tell that these people knew the name. And that's even maybe going so far as, as to say they didn't know the name, but they were cheering the person for having achieved uh, sixth place, fifth place, because this is a... That's a, a big deal. It's a strategy game. Yeah. It's There's room for beatdowns, but you have to be good at this in order to get that far. Right on. You said there was an element of cosplaying as well this year. There was a greater role of cosplaying presence uh, than I've ever seen at any Magic the Gathering event. But this was a different um, case. This was a special case because it was the equivalent of three Grand Prix at once. Your average Grand Prix will run you maybe between one and 3,000 people. This was, when I talked to the folks who were running it, Channel Fire, uh, there was a gentleman from Channel Fireball that I spoke to on Thursday night and he said that as of that night they had 7,000 people signed up to play the game so I wow. would be surprised if we went over 10 that's cool so it's a popular game yeah but cosplay is something to me that's an indication that the game has penetrated further into the cultural psyche and people are interested in the game but they're more interested in playing characters from the game or creatures from the game that's pretty awesome keeps it alive it does and i this is one of the things that i love about the modern world that people can not only do this for fun as they always could but that they're getting rewarded for putting such effort into their outfits by having people commission them to play certain characters at video game conferences for example that's a thing that is a thing huh. that is a thing i i know of people who are making a living um playing characters from video games at things like comic That's pretty cool. I mean, what would I cosplay as? Who would pay me to be um, like 5'1"? Laura Croft. Oh, uh, okay. Let me finish describing myself. I'm 5'1". I'm like 160. Yeah, no. Um, maybe one of the, like the Mario Brothers ex-wife, you know, just create a character. Luigi's ex. 
Louisa. Just, hey, I don't know. I could be the ape. I could play an ape. Just wear an ape suit. Walk around with coins. I just want a Godzilla outfit. That's you want a Godzilla? Want. Godzilla would be cool. Godzilla. Especially if I could like jump on people's tables and knock all their shit over. And See, and you're tall, so that would be cool. Yeah, it could work. You could also, I don't, you know, like you could probably pull off Tormund Giant's Bane too from Game of Thrones. Mm. You know? Okay. Have you seen that guy? I haven't. He's but... your doppelganger, man. <laughs> he really is. I'm like, hey, look, it's Anthony's on Game of Thrones. He's got a crush on Brienne. Uh, I'll, I'll sh- we should find that guy. I'll find uh, Tormund Giant's Bane and show it to you. So, um, please. So you got a lot going on. You've got a lot uh, in the works and cooking. Uh, we've got a lot to get through, but you're doing, you're, you're writing your graphic novel. I have a, yep, I've got a novel that's under production. We'll get um, into that. You're, you're, you're writing a book. We're, we're both writing first books. We're both writing so first that's novels, yes. super fun. And then you've got a Kickstarter campaign coming up. Yes. So let's talk about that first because we're going to spend some time with creative process and writing and stuff like that. Tell me about the Kickstarter and, and where we should find it. We're going to put links, by the way, on the Facebook page so you can find it. Uh, so tell me about what's going on with that. Well, I have been working as a professional artist since the early 90s. And I have been doing a lot of world building for, during that period of time. It's been my bread and butter, uh, which means I've been a concept artist. I've been producing a lot of work that the public almost never gets to see because it's not necessary that the work that a concept artist does is to facilitate the creation of a character, the creation of a monster or an environment. But it's a lot of artwork. It's it, This is something that has just come to be in, in my lifetime. Um, in movies, you have concept design. Now you've got concept design and games. And I grew up looking at the art of Star Wars books. We can, we can and are doing that with video games now. It's games like uh, Mass Effect require massive amounts of, of, pun intended, concept art in order to flesh out the characters, the environments, the storyline. That's been my job. And I haven't produced anything like a sketchbook to get it out into the world. And a number of things happened very quickly this summer before the Grand Prix. And one of them was a friend of mine and I got together and started hashing out what a sketchbook might look like. And within about a week and a half, we went from, we could do this to we're doing this to here's the postcard promoting it. And the goal now is to have a series of sketchbooks because I've got 10 years worth of concepting for magic, the gathering alone. Every year or so, we would produce a sketchbook, 80 to 100 pages, that would provide viewers with a whole bunch of art that associated with Magic the Gathering or various video games that they've never been able to see before. And people want this stuff. They do. It's rare. It's cool. It's just part of that world. It's like, you know, we grew up like uh, watching Looney Tunes and I had a friend who was just anything related to the animation for uh, Looney Tunes and... Anything you know associated with those guys like Tex Avery and well, for the longest time you it was the same deal. There was lots of work that was done behind the scenes, but only people who were really deep into it knew names like Maurice Noble and Mary Blair and, and uh, Hans Bacher and, and um, Evan Durrell. And yet those people are responsible for creating the, these memories that we cherish of Bugs Bunny and, and uh, Pete's Dragon and yeah. All these things that we grew up on, the kids, the, the metal food. 
Right, and you had to go out, and you had to go out into the world and really hunt it down. And what's cool about these conventions and online and social media? I mean, you and I are always like, social media is awesome. I mean, I mean, I'm I'm not ever going to call myself old. I think that's bullshit. And strapping on that mantle doesn't make any sense to me. But I mean, I was I was alive before the internet was a thing. You know, it was it came around. You know, when I was probably in my what twenties. Um, and, and I just, every time I hold the computer or look something up or see the way things are shared like this, I'm like, this is fucking amazing. So it's cool that you're have you have these venues and avenues and ways of getting it out and you know, you got Kickstarter, so you fund your own project. No one's like running the show. You're running the show. You're promoting yourself. And I think all of these things are so fucking cool. And I'm glad you're doing this Thank you. because right. people are going to want, people want it. We've already seen that people want your stuff. You, you get to see the art of the cards. I think it's a really cool thing to be able to see how those cards came to be. It's like, as opposed to seeing uh, a magic card and seeing the image on it as just a picture, it's more like if you get access to the concept art, it's like a window frame now, and you can see past that frame. You can look to left or right and see the rest of the world. Also, I think for me, I don't know how fans feel about stuff like this or collectors. I I like the context uh, and the connection of the creator. I like knowing Anthony Waters created this and I like that context of of being you know connected to the art in that way you know like knowing who the director is or the DP is or who the sound guy is uh knowing who the artist is and just knowing something about them just it just I don't know it deepens the experience for me it demystifies the concept of something like a film uh, when you discover that there are people like Tak Fujimoto and people you can follow who are informing uh, and greatly enhancing the experience. And then they're, they're, then they're human beings. You know, mm-hmm. I like the human element. Uh, I like taking people down off the throne. Speaking of thrones, see, I pulled it up. Oh, my goodness. That's your doppelganger. Hey, look at that. Yeah, I don't know. I can't say the guy's real name. I like the uh, um, picture middle, uh, second row down. That yeah. would be that would be me. Yeah, there you go. That would be me. He's so got that's, a, your, that's, your, that's your guy. His uh, hairline has not retreated as far as mine. <laughs> Yet. You don't know. There's maybe magic. There's probably CGI. Uh, His name is Christopher (laughs) Hivju. I don't know. He's just uh, fucking awesome. And you guys are. Torment Giant Spain is easier to say. Torment Giant Spain is. It used to be like your Fallout 4. um, That was your handle, right? Well, that my. the the username is like Tormund Kingslayer. Or something Kingslayer, like that. that's what it was. Yeah, now it's your Danny the Dark Elf in Skyrim. Anyway, Dan- was he is that a step to the elf? left, the right, or down? <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> You've gone from a, a Kingslayer to a Dark Elf, a Danny. It's kind of hard to find. Like, I mean, you, we're always looking for uh, characters of color um, in the games. So you know, don't want to run around and have to play as a white guy. The game companies are slowly being beaten about the head and shoulders to include uh, non-whites. Yeah, and I don't want to, you don't want to be a grouse, um, but like it's multi-billion-dollar industry. You know, people well, it's of not all hard. ills play. The, it's the, not hard. The bottom line is, it's not hard to design a non-white, non-dark-haired, non-light-skinned. They do a pretty good character. job. I think Bethesda does a pretty good job. Yeah, and um, Mass Effect, the folks have done a pretty yeah. good job there to be there able to push um, not just the uh, the race around, but also the shape of the character yeah um, yeah don't create a white character and just make them five shades darker 
And they have the straight Caucasian nose and the straight hair, and they're just darkened down. I'm like, that's not a person of color, dude. No, that's a person with a tan. That's just a mistake. Yeah, she just got back from Cancun, this bitch. Yeah. Um, okay, so <laughs> I digress. You and I can tangent mobile all yeah. over the place. So in preparing, we're talking about Kickstarter and making things and being our own bosses and making opportunities and how cool that is, but also how time-consuming that that is. And you said something to me yesterday when we were kind of talking about, you know, the Kickstarter. And, oh, by the way, when does it launch? When does the Kickstarter launch? Our projected launch date is the 25th of July. Okay, so thereabouts, you know, we'll put links in here. And we'll be talking about it on the Facebook page, so don't you don't have to remember that. Okay. And if you do, God bless you, whomever you are. <laughs> I love uh, you. You're wonderful. We love you. Yes. So uh, you said something. Uh, I like this phrase. You said, uh, you know, I'm learning how to be DIY in a world that is not DIY. And I wanted you to expand upon that. Am I misquoting the idea? Because you were talking about, like, I'm trying to figure this out. I don't think so. Um, I think that's I think that's accurate. I, I, I mean by that, um, one of the things that's changing is this idea that you get everything done on your own. It's a, it's ingrained in American culture that you are the maverick. You're the, the, the lone passionate soul who sweats his way through to the idea at the end. And then you get all the glory or, you know, to go the full and ran route. You, you take your treasures and go and leave civilization barren and, and sad. Um, cause without the, and ran, without uh, the, and ran part. Life. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's all about, you know, it's all about the, the efforts that you made that you brought um, this thing into being all by yourself, which is is almost never true. That's true. Uh, and it's one of the things that I love about this present day and age is we've got a variety of tools now online by which people can bring their ideas to fruition. We've got Patreon and Zebra. We've got... Uh, Indiegogo, uh, Kickstarter. We have tools by which one can bypass the middleman and go straight to the fan base. Yeah. We have Bandcamp and SoundCloud. I support musicians directly as often as I can now. Because I do I would too. Just as soon have them get every last dime than to have them get a tiny cut from Amazon or from Apple. It's no better than the record companies. Yeah. At this point. Right. But, yeah, totally about that. Oh, Agus is weighing in. He's got a point. Yep. Um, that's really cool. And, you know, we were just talking about how to use social media. I think, you know, a lot of people pretend like they're the marketing gurus. It's so funny. Even while this, when I was, when I went back to writing uh, years ago and, and a lot of my clients are, they're online, you know, I'm, I'm pr- producing content for these companies and a lot of people like to pretend that they knew what SEO really meant. They like to pretend what marketing really is. And what I've discovered from my experience out there is it's whatever works for you, however you use these tools. Um, I've seen people have hard and fast rules for crowdfunding. Like you always need to have a video that does this and then you need to say these keywords and you need to do this. And then you'll see like two, uh, I saw two illustrator dudes come and sit there with bad audio. It's two brothers. They were doing this Hong Kong, um, animated series. They didn't do it. They broke all the rules and they just, they raised their money in two seconds. Uh So (laughs) people try to tell you that there is an exact way to do these things. I just, I think some things are are true, but I don't think you have to follow any beaten path. What have you learned so far about your experience? Are you just still figuring it out (laughs) as you go along? I, this is my first Kickstarter. I just like, it's my first sketchbook. So I am very much at the beginning of the learning curve. And what you'll learn from this is uh, what to do and what not to do, right? That's This is the most valuable golden thing out of it besides, you know, 
getting and some dough. As hard as it is, embrace your mistakes. Yeah, we talked about this. Yeah. The if purpose wanna, of mistakes. If you want to learn, make lots of mistakes. Yeah, we we're big proponents about talking about that on this podcast, and just in just the philosophy, right? Is um, fucking up as part of it. Sucking at something is it's like the best part of it. If you don't if you don't freak out about it, if you embrace that you're going to suck, if you embrace that you're going to fail, and you kind of take it from that point of view, like yeah, there's going to be a lot of sucking because we're you know we're both writing books, and I don't I've never written a book before. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. I've read books on writing books before. They kind of seem sort of like bullshit, some of them, and some of them like, oh, that's some good advice. But yeah, I, I totally believe in making mistakes. And now I'm so comfortable making mistakes that I don't, it's not a failure to me. It's like, oh, well, that didn't work out. It's just part of the process because it is. Skip on and yeah. Part of the process. Mistake and move on. So yeah, I, that's a huge purpose of mistakes. I think we were talking about um, you find out who you are when you screw up, you find out what you want to do. What are the other things that you learn when you make mistakes in, in art? What you don't want to do. <laughs> which is also very, this again. very important to do. And I, I, I have learned that lesson many times over at Magic Events. The nature of what players want has evolved over the past 20-odd years. How so? Um, well, there were things like altars. The concept of altars didn't exist when I first started attending Magic Events. I think the first one I attended was 97 96 or 97. What's an altar? An altar is when you take a magic card and you do something to the card art. Um, you take a Sharpie and you know, if there's a dragon in the card art, you draw Homer Simpson riding the dragon. And the fan is requesting that on the spot? How does that work? Yeah, the fan ha- asks for uh, a quick altar or they ask for an elaborate altar. And there's another thing that's changed. I mean... 15 years ago, altars were not a thing. Um, maybe 8 to 10 years ago, they were starting to become a thing. Now people are using acrylic paint, and they are repainting the paintings. How long ta- does that take, though? If you've got a line out the door, like... So this fan is standing there watching you do an altar live. The people who have monetized this, not to throw out a tacky-ass phrase, but the people who come up with a way of making this really work for them, they can bang out one of these paintings in, in 15 to 20 minutes. What? And, you know, if you're... This is their art, though. This is their card. It's, yes. They're not altering anyone else's card. Like, nobody's there, putting an altar on are people Anthony who do Waters' it. card. There are people who do that. Oh, is that um, frowned upon? I think it's completely a matter of your own comfort zone. For you got, me, you got I got permission not, maybe from the guy, maybe? If you, if, you, if you can, presuming that that artist happens to be there, I just don't do it because I'm not comfortable modifi- modifying other people's art. Yeah. but I wouldn't be either. I wouldn't, but other people are fine with it. And, you know, I pass no judgment on that. That's, it's all about giving the fan what the fan wants. You do you, baby girl. And until somebody sues you. Whether or not you really, you know, whether or not you want to do yeah. that. Um, the thing that I think is appealing for fans is that they get a relatively affordable original work of art and it's on the the tool of the trade you could say it's the it's painted right on the magic card so it's it's it would be like having um this is going to be a bad analogy but like having your favorite artist from star wars painting a mural on the side of your panel van that would be pretty sweet. It would be awesome to have Ralph McQuarrie. Especially if he incorporated a unicorn. Yeah, well, that would sort of throw it out canon, but what the hell. I mean, you know. 
Why not? I mean, you got Jar Jar Binks. I can bring my fucking unicorn to this party. You can put a tauntaun and <laughs> put a horn on a tauntaun and call it a... There you unicorn. go. Sure. A hornaton. A hornaton. <laughs> Tonicorn. <laughs> I would never be that tacky. Trust me. I would not. I wouldn't be as tacky as to make episodes one, two, and three either. But hey! That's okay. When you're <laughs> suffering from the madness of King George, you get to do almost anything you want. Oh, so true. Okay, I'm trying to look up Magic the Gathering cards altars because we were ta- we've been talking about this, and I don't know what they look like. So I'm going to pull up an image and go. What does that mean? Oh, I see. We'll post this up on uh, the page as well. I, people I, I who get are it. people who are really good at it. Um, my my personal favorite is my buddy Delroy Chi, because um, his whenever he does altars, they are they're his own creation. Um, he's got an incredible imagination. And so what gets put on the card is some strange creature straight out of his head. But other people like Randy Post are brilliant at incorporating uh, modern pop references into their altars. I I have great respect for that because I don't know enough of the modern pop references out there to be able to visualize them, much less paint them. Right. I gotcha. And it's a very effective way of making money. So Um, you don't do as many? You don't really... No, I try and keep the number really low because I would much rather draw. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, it's not, your, it's not draw, your thing. Much rather paint. Yeah. But they are fun. In the right circumstances, they can be a lot of fun. Maybe if you had time, do some research. I don't think I could... It just seems like, I don't know, somebody standing over me, you know, going, put Agent Cooper on the back of the whatever the creature would be. Like, I don't know. How, how large is a, a card? card I mean, is, it, is it like a baseball card? It is. That is life-size. The one on the lower uh, left hand. So, corner. what's the dimensions of that? Since we're so, I mean, how are you supposed to? It's about draw th- anything on that. I'd say it's about two thirds the size of a playing card. Wow. Um, yeah. How are you drawing? That's tiny. It's, it's, yeah. It's minute. <laughs> um, it's very very small. Um, and then you said people do that with with paint as well. Yep. Yep. They get in there with. I mean, I use markers a lot, but other people like Daryl use acrylic paint. And these are a different critter. We can talk about the difference between an artist proof and a regular card. But yeah, as you can see, wow. the cards are not very big. The image itself is not very big. It's like maybe twice the size, eh, more like three and a half times the size of a postage stamp. Right. Um, huh. It takes patience and um, a willingness to to work quickly and loosely because you can't get, I mean, if you have a line out the door, you can't get really tight. You have to be speedy and that's that definitely goes to one of my um soft spots it's like i you don't want to be rushed i don't like being rushed i mean you're not you're not like you know you're not the cigarette girl you know (laughs) i am i i respect the people who can work fast sure people like steve argyle um and uh, Randy Post were very, very fast Look, at this. Look, fast writers, I can say the same thing, that people who can just churn out content and, you know, at previous gigs, it's like, this should take you three hours. I'm like, bitch, you don't know that. I mean, I'm, this is like a, maybe it's a Game of Thrones list or whatever. I'm like, I got to go off and go wade into this dense world of stuff and figure things out. Or when I'm writing my own stuff, it's like, I don't sit down and go, how fast can I turn out 20 pages? I mean, you don't get medals for that. Mm-hmm. Again, no one's standing over me and going... You know, write me a Dear John letter. Wouldn't it be funny if that was actually a thing? Nobody even does that anymore. Now it's just a, you get ghosted. But what if you had like a company that just wrote like 
fuck off tax. I'm sure it exists. If I just thought about it, somebody's been in business five years doing that. Arshamic fees. I just don't know if I would, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd be with you. And God bless the people who can just work fast no matter who they are. I'm like, all right, that's fantastic, dude. Go your way. So I didn't realize how tiny it was, though. It's about like, if you're concentrating on the back of sand looking at the dinosaur, I mean, that would be your work would be literally the size of maybe a quarter if you're working. That's about life size, too. Yeah. The card is maybe a little bigger than the um, the actual art. And that was all marker. These are cool cards. So, thank you. Your, your art is cool. We're going to post thank up some of this much. art with your permission. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, so people can see what we're talking about. So you're like, I can't see it right now. You guys are frustrating me. It's not a TV show. That's coming. No, it's not. We're never going to do it. It will be online soon. It'll be online soon when this uh, podcast goes up. So, uh, we were talking about, uh, I'm kind of all over the place because there's so much to talk about with you, but we were talking about the purpose of mistakes and uh, approaching work. What's the biggest thing you've learned about writing your, about writing, writing your novels? Oh, boy. What have you learned? What do you, what's the, what's the big, uh, big reveal so far? The big reveal is I'm really curious what the second novel is going to be like. <laughs> uh, the first novel is has been a a lot of a lot of work, and it's still you know I I had expected to get the first draft done in the first calendar year, and I'm at a little over two, and I'm about three quarters of the way there. Yeah. Um, but I'm afraid to even say that because when I started working on this novel, it was going to be a novella, and now it's to to tell the story properly, I've broken it into three novels with a spinoff. That's cool, man. But, you know, here's the thing. We talked about this. I, unless somebody's waiting for the work on the other side, I, I don't see the point. And, and, again, writing my first book, I'm only on, like, page 130, technically, if you, if you consider all the pages that I just killed out of it. So what do I know? But it, it just feels it feels wrong to me to put any kind of – not wrong. It just feels like it puts unnecessary pressure to say I'm going to have this book done in X amount of time. That's one of the things that I've learned. Yeah, I'm like, I just don't, because, and people go, when do you think you'll have it ready? I'm like, what are you, like, Random House? I mean, you know, (laughs) why are you asking? I mean, I don't mean that in a shitty way. I just mean, like, I don't, I'll go, oh, three months, I'll just make something up, knowing that it'll be done when I'm done, right? So I don't think putting any pressure on that is, you know. This is something that we talked about earlier, though, that I think is important to mention, which is balancing um, expectations, both your own, and those of other people yeah. with what is actually happening, um, what the process actually seems to be. And for me, it's, I go on bursts of writing and then I encounter stuck points and I, so far I've needed to research my way out of each of them. Uh, and it's nonlinear research. It's not like I come to a point where they encounter a certain kind of critter and I need to go and research arachnids or I need to go and research sea turtles and figure out what the perfect sea turtle would be for the character to ride. It's more like I have developed a scene in which stillbirths are now a part of the, um, the character and, or the, the plot thread at that moment. And it's the turn of the 20th century. Um, what am I going to do with this? Am I going to explore uh, industrial revolution level pollution um, and play that as the the reason for these uh, stillbirths, this unusual amount of stillbirths? Or, or give no reason, as you said. Or give no reason at all. But, I mean, for me, it's really important to know what the reason is. Even, even if, if you don't even reveal if they it. Don't I'm the same way. I yeah. mean, I don't necessarily. We talked about, I think Stephen King has said something about this. Other writers have said something about this. You know, 
the reader doesn't necessarily need to know that you went and researched all these things, but I think it's important to know it. I have a character who speaks, uh, you know, a, a, an Indian language, uh, the Sioux language. And so I'm going to go figure out what she's saying. And then I may not use that, but I need to know what that is. I need to extensively study that culture, the tribe, the traditions. Um, we have Sue in our family, but I by no means am an expert on this. So I don't want to piss off somebody and, and jerk around a, a reader because I don't know it. They'll feel it. I feel like people feel like you know what you're talking about, even if you're not referencing you know, industrial pollution, stillbirths. Sh- it shows when you're just throwing something out there without not without having thought about why it's there. I think so too. So yeah, um, so that's that's a stop down. That's a slow down, and that doesn't you don't know that you're there until that pops up in a character, and so you've told yourself I'm going to do this in six months. And so what? Now it's ten months. Who gives a shit? Well, it depends if you let people uh, expect it. Yeah, that's to true. happen sooner. Like on Patreon and things like that, we talk about people who yeah. are like supporting your work. They're like. But has anyone ever said, hey, man, you know, you said it was going to be seven months and now it's ten or... I don't know. I, so far, I've held on to approximately the same core of people who have been supporting me, for which I am eternally grateful. But the thing that I have learned as I've gone through um, the past year and a half or so is the direction that I have gone with my life is different from the direction that I had established for the Patreon. Right. And that's the next step is to go back after this event, go home and uh, reconfigure the Patreon to more closely reflect what it is that I'm actually doing. That the novel takes an awful lot of time. Yeah. And the downside of that is when I'm busy writing, I'm not painting. I'm not drawing. Not making money. There's not a whole lot to see. Not yet. Not yet. We'll get paid for our books not soon yet. enough. There I will hope. be. And there's going to be, I've got a bunch of paintings started that I get to attack. I get to start finishing now, which is great. But but reasonable expectation. Big thing we've been talking about yes. uh, on this yeah. visit uh, as you come over here to Santa Monica to and as Ashland you, Studio. And as you said, you know, start out with what you're doing. Don't tell people what's going to be done. Yeah, I never... Uh, yeah, and to clear that up, it's like when um, we were having the conversation about... I struggled with this for the longest time. Still do. Still have to go. Smack. It's like, I'm about to go and do this screenplay. And I'm going to write this screenplay and it's going to be done in a month. Um, and I don't know why. I'm just telling people who... They're not producers or executives who are waiting on the screenplay, but now it's out there, Right. And then people are like, "Aren't you? Weren't you working on that screenplay? Wasn't it supposed to be done by now?" And then I've just put this. I've, I've just set myself up to have this unnecessary pressure and guilt and expectation, where it's where it's it's like. I mean, I did it even with this book. I was telling everybody, "I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book," and I asked for it. And they were like, "When's it going to be? When are you going to finish it? When's it? What's it?" And I'm like, "I have no right to get irritated because I told everybody and their dog that I was writing a book." You know what I mean? Yeah, I know that feeling. And so I've already done it myself. So now I just don't bring it up. I just add, like, you know, if it comes up, I'm like, yeah, I'm still on that book, yeah. Or on the second one. No. Uh, because honestly, most of the people I know are, will they actually read your book? We'll have to figure that out. Because a lot of people are like, I'm your friend. I'll, I'll download it on the Amazon. And they never read it. You know? Yeah, who knows? It's like, go see your friend's band. Who knows? I mean, I didn't <laughs> think, I'm sure that the person who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey had no idea that her fan fiction was going to suddenly be transformed into a book and then a movie. It's surprising to the rest of us, too. And disappointing, Get your money, girl. Disappointing to many in the BDSM community, but... 
That's a whole other oh conversation. God, that book is so vilified. Uh, but you know, a hundred million purchases of that book obviously uh, liked it. I I have a theory, and not I don't want to spend a lot of time um, giving a shout out to that book. She doesn't need my money. She's probably in a villa and can't hear me right now. Her she's living in a soundproof golden cage of money. Um, is that it? It gave housewife house a housewife is not going to go on the computer where she's a she's forbidden. Her children from looking at porn. She, you know, they probably got the computer on lockdown. They've got all the, the, the lockdown security things on the devices. So this is her way to, like, get off. She gets this book, and, and all of a sudden her husband or her, her wife is getting nooky. And, you know, men are reading this, too, and they're getting turned on. So I, I think it was just because uh, regular-ass people uh, got to play with vanilla, low-level, lame-ass porn. I think that's what this was. And it certainly wasn't a BDSM book. And it's kind of rapey. No. It's, it's no. very abusive and rapey. But if you're a middle-aged uh, housewife, uh, this, is, this is golden shit. You know, She's never been on Tumblr, probably. So a lot of people were about that book. I read all three in a pretty quick clip, and I was like, okay, wow. <laughs> but it encouraged me, so I want to thank that author. Her name does not come to my mind at all right now. But um, I'd like to thank that uh, what was her name? She was a fanfic. Uh, what was her? I think I remember her fanfic writing name more than I. I'm remembering the name of the Dragon Pill Poopy Sky. I don't I know what it was. I'm remembering the one who wrote Twilight. So it's yeah. Not helping. Anyway, so it doesn't matter, and we're not going to look it up. No offense, lady. 50 you don't need our help. But uh, it works out. but it encouraged me. It's like if she can write this book, uh, I can write a book. Mm-hmm. So thank you, lady who wrote Fifty Shades of Grey yep. and the other two with gray in the title. Indeed. Darker. <laughs> Lighter shade of pale This is not a shade, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh so she she should send me five dollars for promoting her book again. Uh <laughs> I just threw myself completely off track. That's okay. What's uh We'll find find our way back. So we're talking about expectation, we're talking about setting up deadlines and you're coming away from this Vegas event and you're about to travel home uh to Washington tomorrow. what was the big what kind of sh- what kind of had this transformative thing in your mind about how you want to approach the Kickstarter and finishing the graphic novel and and getting back to your book and overhauling the Patreon debate to be more like hey here's some more realistic things for me what what kind of kicked that off? This was um, I stopped going to magic events um, for a long time five six years the first event that I had attended. Um, since that period was in, in November of 2015. And I, I did it because I had friends encouraging me that the, the relationship between the fans and the artists had changed uh, radically from the last event. And that turned out to be true. Um, this time around, the event had many thousands more attendees than any magic event I've ever attended. And there were a massive number of artists. There were about 40 of us. That's that's and, unusual. Oh, that's about forty times more artists in one place than is typical. I mean, I've gone from events where I was the only artist, really, to you know, a lot of times in the nineties, where in the two thousands, where I was the only artist, or I was one of two. Were you mobbed? Uh, at this one, oh, you mean those cases? In those cases, where like people just like, there's an artist, let's attack yes. him. Yes, the first time I went to Japan, I was with an uh, an artist named Randy Randy Gallegos, and um, we both got mobbed. We both had lines around the corner, and that was a surreal experience. 
That's most, pretty cool. Most of the time, when as a freelance artist, when you create work, it goes into a hole. Um, it's work for hire. You get paid. Um, you go hunting for the next job. Not and, well. And you never hear about how the work was received. Magic is is very different and in a great many pleasurable ways. It is very affirming to have someone come up to you and say, I love the art on this card. Not only is the card functionality really important, because with, with these guys, it's a game. So the thing that makes the the game successful is are, are the mechanics. Does, is it a fun game to play? But the art is an integral part of it. So when people come up to me and say, I love this work of art, this work of art means something to me because I won this game or I've heard a variety of stories. I I grew up looking at your work. Uh, These are my favorite forests of all the forests in the game. That, that makes me feel like I'm doing my job. That's pretty cool. Which is a great, great feeling. But to, to bring that back to the, the question is what did I learn from this event? And I was kind of, this, this is the third event that I've attended since 2015. I'm feeling my way through how I want to present myself at these events. Maybe another way of putting it is how much of myself I want to present yes, to these events. Of course. Um, cause I've got things of my own that I want to do and that takes a lot of juice and present. I mean, I'm, I'm I really enjoy speaking in front of people. I enjoy interacting with fans very much. Uh, and I enjoy getting out there, uh, to unusual locations and meeting people that I would otherwise never meet. Thank you, uncle Hasbro for making this happen. But I also have, I know that I have a finite amount of energy. I've got a fairly, um, deep introvert streak. So when I really get my teeth into an idea, I need to be um, I need to be quiet. I need to be alone cranking on that idea for a while. And it means that I often need to retreat from social media. I need to, um, cocoon and just push on the idea as hard as I can until I'm past it. And maintaining your presence in a, in a, uh, magic Grand Prix or in the, in the environment of, um, magic in general, the, the commercial, the, I don't even know how to put it, but the, because most of the people in that list are um, people who used to do magic cards mm-hmm. uh, or doing magic cards now. It creates a different relationship with the fans. How much um, energy do you have to devote to that? How many in the way of making retail, um, making prints, making altars, um, originals, all sorts of stuff like that? Yeah. It takes, you, you, you have to choose what you're going to do. Because you can't do all of it. Nope. I can't. Other people can. I cannot. So I have to make choices. And in this case, I want to continue doing magic events. But I, I've made peace with the fact that it's going to be just a few a year. Cool. I like that. I mean, <clears throat> I think we just talked about I had, uh, I still have to make um, a little bit of money that I make. <laughs> it's laughable. <laughs> I don't even know why I have to pay taxes. I mean, I just think that somebody should just pat me on the back and go, poor, poor, dear, dear. And thanks for playing. But, you know, I would, I had to make a choice this last uh, year as well because of writing the book. And I, I couldn't... And there are also three different clients that do three different things. And one was just really sucking the energy out of me. And there wasn't a whole lot of payoff for it. So I switched over and I was like, I, I got to get rid of that. And it's hard getting rid of, like, paying gigs 
even if those gigs are kind of not paying very well, it's something yeah. when you're, you know, broke-ass freelancer. And it took me about a month to be comfortable with the decision. And I'm, I'm glad that I did. I'm, I'm still trying to get comfortable with uh, this mantle of writing a book. You know, who am I to write a book? Well, I'm going to do it. So, but I do feel like now I just want to get through a draft. I want to get through this first draft. I've, I've ruminated enough. You and I had a good, you know, workshop about it yesterday, which is really cool. I'm just going to uh, burn through some conclusions and get some stuff done and get some paper laid down. But yeah, it's, it's really tough making these decisions of what do I do to make money and what do I do for my art? You, it's such a weird balance. And I think it, depending on who you are and your energy level and your age and your opportunities and where your bread comes from, where you're living, yeah. you know, yeah. how you're living, all of those things inform the gig. When I was uh, first breaking into the industry, it was a joke to, uh, it was a, a nasty joke to suggest that you're going to be the guy who lives in the basement and does his comic while his you know, while your parents continue to support you. Your job was to go out there into the world and, and find a essentially a corporate sponsor. Um, you know, you work for Magic, you work for Mattel, you work for 20th Century Fox, and you crank out the uh, dibs and dabs that they need to make their product. And that's how you make your living. Yeah. Then Bill Watterson came along and spoke at, was it Wesleyan College, I think, in the mid-2000s. And... This is Calvin and Hobbes. This, this is Mr. Calvin and Hobbes. And it, it had a profound effect on me. He said, if you have something that's really important to you, if you have a dream that keeps you awake at night, do everything in your power to make that happen. If that means that instead of going and getting the, the golden ticket job, you stay at home in your parents' basement and you take a part-time job and you spend the rest of the time working on this thing, do it because the world needs more stories. If the, you can do that, yeah, absolutely. I, there's no not, shame in that. It's not for everybody. Also, in this economy, you know, your your parents probably... Are doing better know. than you are. Yeah, you know, you're yes. you're helping each other out. I think we're all, with things being the way they are these days, you know, we're... we're uh, well, other cultures, other communities, other ethnicities, they already had this unlocked, but like, I'm seeing a lot of white people going, hey, we kind of need each other. Uh, Which, that's not a white people thing. We don't really, like, glom together. Like, we don't really, like... It goes back to the DIY culture, the idea that, you know, everyone's a maverick. Everyone who succeeds is a maverick, and nobody succeeds with... Um, nobody needs help in order to succeed. We all need... Com we're communal creatures. We all need community. Yeah, and we got to help each other out. We're talking about building this community now, right? Yeah, and this is something that I think the millennial generation gets and uh, either has or is well on the way of building if you look on Tumblr especially. But if you look elsewhere, Instagram, Twitter, the various uh, forums for art, DeviantArt and CG Society and... and uh, I'm, I'm running out of, of other names. Behance came up, but that's a uh, more of a professional thing. There are groups out there and places to go where you can meet people who are like-minded, who can give you tips on how to better uh, create your product, uh, better market it. Um, and also just support. I mean, mm -hmm. sometimes you just need, like we were, that notion that where does support and encouragement come from? And I like Tumblr. I like the world of Tumblr. I like the way it functions. I know a lot of people like or can you know. I have a friend, uh, 
she says she's totally terrified of it because everybody's so much younger than her. And I'm not. I embrace it. I'd like to see what the conversations are. I don't mind delving in. I don't mind jumping in. And I'm learning so much and learning so many things. And I see a lot of support. I see a lot of people going for each other, a lot of dragging. Mm-hmm. I love to drag each other on there. The drags are even funnier, too. There's a competition in dragging people. But that your support is right there if you want to reach out. And if mm-hmm. you're sincere and go, hey, I'm kind of stuck on something or... I need help. And there's like four or five different ways to even communicate inside Tumblr that I appreciate. You know, you can ask anonymously. You can mm-hmm. have a direct conversation. You can have a group conversation. You can invite someone to a Skype conversation. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can kind of do that with any platform, but Tumblr t- tends to lend itself to collaboration for me. I think so. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's certainly the place that most, um, that the, the latest generation of artists growing artists has, has gravitated to. Yeah. Um, I, I find Tumblr um, amazing and also um, sometimes really overwhelming yeah. uh, because everything is there. It's, All the things. Yeah, it is a gigantic lint collector for the internet. Uh, and I am really prone to um, obsessing about data. I am, I am fascinated by imagery i'm and i'm fascinated by information and uh, tumblr is is the equivalent of all the world's um junk peddlers put in one place yeah tapped right into my bank account i just <laughs> can fall into it for hours yeah i i too t- tend to love it we we're talking about though just sort of switching over about networks and support and community and how more important we've never needed it more than now um current regime uh fucked up and shit and how we kind of we need each other we we need to to bind together to support each other uh whether you're actually addressing what's going on or you're in your own way just trying to create something that drowns out that noise you know uh and holds people up it's we've never needed a community more than we've needed it now we've never needed to bind together more than uh we've needed to until now we kind of drifted off into our little personal digital spaces right it felt like that to me we've all been pushed to uh, make ends meet that's true um as time has gone on in my my adult years um it's gotten harder and harder and harder um you effectively have to use the same amount of money that you earned in you know 2002 to purchase 2017's expenses right uh, and that has a way of narrowing people's focus but the point of an art of being an artist is is you've got stories to tell and cultures need stories especially that that have stories that have to do with with the times um it's why totalitarian regimes go after artists first why they go after poets painters musicians they seem it seems ridiculous at first. Uh, why would anyone give a damn about a poet? It's like, well, because a poet can motivate tens of thousands of people. Absolutely. That's a deadly tool to them. That's a yeah. deadly force. I don't know that I see that so far in this. I do think, you know, the net neutrality thing is one way to hamstring everyone rather than just going after, you know, all of these popular musicians and all of these people where you're just going to get drugged into the streets by, you know, the millennials are not going to be having that. They're not, you're not going to go after their, you know, their icons, but the net neutrality thing does seem like it's trying to just sort of 
fulcrum, you know, like tried to, not, that's not the right word, trying to just cock block us between our, us and our content and our access to each other. Defunding so the NEA is yeah. another thing. Say that again? Defunding the NEA is yeah. another thing. Defunding oh, PBS. That already happened. Yeah, the, the National Endowment for the Arts. I don't know. Have they, have they enacted these yet? They talked about it. There was a lot of just coming in and doing very Nazi-like shit for, you know, that first month. They actually, I mean, Trump's administration actually hasn't managed to pass. I don't know if they've even managed to pass one. I don't think they have law. They've uh, Trump signed many executive orders, but that's sometimes probably, he signs uh, just signs pieces of paper. Yeah, and big boy writes things on paper. And turns out office. executive orders are actually the easiest thing to overturn. Yes, yeah. Hopefully, so, you know, I don't want to get cocky about the you know an impeachment. I hope it happens sooner rather than later. But I think we've all learned something. I mean, I wasn't. I wasn't dead asleep. I really wasn't dead asleep. We were fair, we're fairly political amongst us. You know, we talk about politics, but I don't think I've ever known this many senators and congressmen's names in my entire life and how the Constitution works. I'm looking up constitutional law, and I'm also seeing a huge coming together. You know, all my Facebook friends, we just were like, oh, so-and-so has a kid. and Oh, he got a new cat. Oh, look at his latte. We just kind of would all, like, I wouldn't even like things or post things. Just Facebook was just kind of like, meh, here's a link to a funny or die video that I find chuckly. And now it's like a, it's our, it's our, our, uh, this huge movement of coming together and supporting each other and then supporting each other's endeavors as well. It's like, oh. So you've got a gallery show in Austin. I'm not going to be in Austin, but I'm going to spread it around to my other Austin friends. Somebody's mm-hmm. looking for a photographer for this. I'm paying more attention to that and mm-hmm. I'm participating in things. I can't, I can't afford to give y'all any money on Kickstarter, but I can certainly promote that and talk about the importance of what they're trying to make. I can do mm-hmm. what I can do. We have this podcast. Mm-hmm. We can promote people's work here. And I think, more than ever, we were, we just started out talking about The Walking Dead, like, what, a couple of years ago on our podcast, because we had really um, groundbreaking insight into the show. No, we didn't. We just got drunk and wanted to talk about the podcast. But uh, it kind of grew into now we're talking about these kinds of things, the importance of art, the, por- the importance of deadlines and not having one and, and encouraging people to continue on. And even if you have a stop down and a slow down, you know, get back up and get on your project again. I think we can thank the, you know, Orange, uh, you know, Mussolini, Mango Mussolini, you know, for that, right? That he, we all went, holy shit. <laughs> Here's a villain for you to unite everyone. Well, I, certainly the, the things that have been happening, um, every day seems to double down on the day before it. Yeah, of, of scandal, um, of of drama, of tension, and that is added to my feeling of well, I I am forty eight years old, um, and I have a lifetime's worth of of stories in me that I have set aside in favor of trying to to be a good worker bee, um, and his behavior, his apparent intent with regard to the rest of the world, America first, whatever that exactly means, um, has fired me up to chase my dreams while hopefully I'm still around to do something with them. Yeah, exactly. So we got to get out there and support each other. If you're not supporting people, go find someone to support. That's what I'm encouraging people to do. Just go out and, and, and support some endeavor. 
some person who's yes. trying to do good in the world, someone who's trying to hold somebody else up. You know, we don't. We, there's a lot of uh, voices in the streets right now that are. You know, and I can be very vitriolic. I can be very uh, kind of, not hysterical, but I can be pretty pointy, pointy, sharpie, sharpie about what's going on politically. But then I have to stop down and realize, you know, people need encouragement as well. They need kindness and they need uh, to be held up. And, and I'm seeing a lot of that kind of after this, this shock wave of the first three or four months of this of this tsunami of shit show after shit show. Like they're trying to top their ratings every day. Let's do another horrible thing. Let's do well, let's two at in, once. I, mean, I think it's important to keep in mind that we can be united by anger, but it's not an emotion that can bind us together. And it's not sustainable. No. Uh, and then after a while it turns upon itself. So then you have that sort of backlash moment and the hangover of revolution and all of that stuff that does happen once you conquer um, the evil doers to bring a W word back phrase word. I don't know. He probably put that all together, so let's call it a word. Uh, what's next? What is next? What's the first thing you're going to do when you get home tomorrow? Just walk me through your day when you get home. Because you've got a flight in the morning at 8. Um, I, uh, nothing, you're going to hug your dog? Nothing especially interesting. I'm going to fly home. I'm going to get off the plane. I'm going to hug my dog. Um, and then I will unpack. There's some uh, stuff that I need to do. Uh, need to help my mom with and yeah. make sure that she's okay. And then I'm going to head back north and get back to work. I've got a class that I'll be teaching in the month of August. It'll be a month-long world design class, um, four weeks. Is the class full? Can people still sign up for it? Oh, yeah. It's still it's still available. Okay, like, so we can still... put that link up if you guys are in that area and want to take this class. Yeah, and I, there's a lot of, of uh, material I want to include. In the course in the course design, so I'll be working full tilt all the way through July to make that happen. You know, you uh, you're like me. You're a worrier about am I doing enough? Am I meeting my expectations? We both do this. I trust me. I do this all the time. But you know, you teach, you go to conventions, you produce work that is beautiful but that's for your dollars as well and then you're writing a graphic novel you have your other novel that you're going to get back to uh when that when that time is right you know you you sit down and create you spend time with friends you live your life you you know ponder and 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 just conjure and all these kinds of things i think you do pretty well mm, at balancing everything you know i it's like i always think that i'm just a big you know hot mess and Ian's like no you're good you're fine it's okay and in my head it's like World War 3 and there's just like grenades and drones and I don't, I don't know how other people do it but for me it's a day by day thing I yeah. just you know, every day brings some specific challenge that needs to be faced uh, and staying on course is the most important thing I think everyone struggles with that yeah I don't think I'm unusual I drift but it doesn't um you know, I, I do drift, but I I think sometimes that drifting is a good thing. Uh, but I feel like right now, okay, I've, I've drifted. It's been great. I've had some rumination time. Um, that's time to maybe sit down with the fingers on the keyboard and just get some words going. Because I've got, like, my notepad notes, and I've had my thoughts, and I've recorded a few things. And it's like, okay, that's great. Now it's time down to, to sharpen the spear and go do some stuff. i got to go just get some words out. So I feel... Uh, I feel like you're feeling that same way. It's like, okay, let's do some stuff, you know. Yeah. 
Yeah. We don't have to hit the ground running like tomorrow and do all the things, but it's like, yeah, I'm going to... I'm, I'm ready to get back home and get back to work. Yeah. I have learned some great stuff from this magic event. Um, as much what I don't want to do is as much as I do. Um, and I am excited to get writing again. I'm excited to be working on this course because I love teaching. I love especially teaching world building, helping people uh, explore their own imaginations and grow them because you know, it's, it's a, a, a bad analogy, but it, there's enough truth to the fact that it's a muscle that I'll use it. And you're um, a terrific motivator in those classes. I got to say, oh, thank you. I don't want to give anything away because you guys have to pay the money to, to figure out what Ant does. Cause you know, you gotta eat y'all. Uh, but he's really, what he, how he does it is so freaking awesome. I mean, I would encourage somebody to take this class, even if they're, they're not going to build worlds, but they're just going to be a writer. I think this would be a, cla- a great class for a writer. Because the way you set it up, the way you motivate people to, to come to their stories and to work and collaborate with other people, I mean, I would take it. Uh, if I lived in your area, and, and I, would, I swear to God I would take it because it's just a great workshop for writers, to me in my mind. Because story is all. No matter what your, what your medium is, you know, coming up with a story, and I struggle with that as well, so I would totally benefit from your class. Maybe you could offer an online digital remote thing and I can pay to do that. The goal eventually is to have a, a summer-long class where awesome. a group of people get together uh, with me, and by the end of the summer, we have produced a small book and a uh, brand new world, that's something that's awesome. not based on any uh, existing IP, but something that they have come up with on their own. Um, it's it's awesome spending time with you face-to-face. We did this remotely. Uh, our last podcast, The Bad Kind of Puppy, we had you remoted in. It's good just to have you sitting here in the studio with us. I mean, this is just like so bomb. Mm, uh, like and it's this. hot as hell in the studio right now, i got to tell you. Um, uh, just got sweat down my balls. Uh, so we're going to go to Duke's. We're going to go to PCH right now. We're going to have some lovely cocktails. I might have the scrimps, the coconut scrimps. And we're going to look at the ocean. You've never been here. You used to live... Uh, scrimps. You live in Orange County, but you've never really... You've never been to Duke's. So mm-hmm. we're going to do this thing before we you know, put you on the plane tomorrow. So we're going to sign off uh, of the podcast tonight. We hope you guys have a wonderful week, weekend. And whatever you're doing, you know, finish it. And don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. And uh, if you're in a basement or an office or just the corner of an apartment or a bus terminal or wherever you're creating, you know, finish that thing. And reach out to us if you need any encouragement. We're here. We're here for y'all. We should be here for each other. Yes. We've got comments. You can comment on... All of our various things, uh, we're Ashlyn Podcast on Twitter, we're Ashlyn Podcast on Facebook, um, and, you know, or send an owl, uh, crows, send a crow, whatever your uh, bird of uh, messaging is. Attach it to an arrow and fling it into the sky. Yeah, that's, I don't know about that, though. Let's not, let's not do that. Attach it to a blunted arrow and fling it into the sky. Okay, good. <laughs> Attach it to a rubber chicken and throw it <laughs> and fling it. Would yes. be great. You wake up in the morning. There's like 50 rubber chickens on your lawn. I would so love that. And you got to squeeze the message out of the mouth. <laughs> and milk the chicken. You know somebody's going to do something dirty inside that chicken. And I'm going to be squeezing that out. That's okay. Just wear heavy gloves and face protection. Uh, so we're going to see you guys uh, very soon. I'll be back with the next podcast. And wherever you are, uh, yeah, we love you.